There's only one authority on the Tennessee Titans, and that's the Tennessean. And there's only one show that's an authority, too, and you've found it. This is Talkin' Titans. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Talkin' Titans. I'm Tennessean sports columnist Gentry Estes, alongside Titans beat writer Ben Arthur. How's it going, everyone? The end of mandatory mini camps this week, which I guess kind of brings an end to the the brief off season. A lot better this year than last year. The Titans were able to get back on the field. Now they've got, uh, I guess, about a six week break uh, before training camp. So this is this is been this is the slowest time of the year. Now we're going into it. the NFL calendar. Very rarely goes completely quiet. They they're good about keeping themselves in the news cycle, but. These next six weeks, it's going to get as quiet as it's been. Uh, doesn't mean we don't have a good show for you. We do. We're, uh, we're going to talk with uh, Joel Corey. He's a former sports agent, salary cap expert, and a Nashville native, been learned, in speaking with Joel, uh, about what this big Julio Jones move is going to mean for the Titans from a salary cap standpoint. I think that was probably the uh, – that remains to me the biggest concern of doing this is kind of wondered all along how the Titans could afford it. Uh, Reports of restructuring with Ryan Tannehill, and you know Joel's going to get into to all that and what that means. Uh, that that'll be later on. Uh, for now, Ben, what do you make of? Uh, we're through OTAs. We're through mandatory minicamp. I, I was out there on Tuesday, and my takeaway was this team sure looks a lot better with Julio Jones on it. Uh, but we're not going to get into that because we've talked enough about Julio. I think everybody kind of knows that. Uh, look, he's an impressive guy. I think, you know, you see him stand next to Derrick Henry, and that's a, a pretty good good shot there for Titans fans. But uh, we're going to talk about some other things, kind of your your takeaways from uh, from what you've seen so far and uh, what what so far has kind of stood out to you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, for, first of all, there's only so, so many conclusions that you can draw from, you know, non-padded practices um, in, you know, May and June you know, this is really just the time for the skill guys, right? You're not really, you know, really seeing, you know, just exactly what the O-line, the D-line, you know, certain, you know, just tight ends in the run game, those, those kinds of things, you're not really able to get a great look at, but, but you do get a feel uh, for, for the corners and, and, you know, the wide receivers and stuff like that. And, you know, kind of the first thing, you know, I wanted to just mention was, you know, Janoris Jackrabbit Jenkins, one of their uh, free agent acquisitions, you know, expected to be, um, well, he, well, he should be a starting corner for them after the guys they let go. But, um, but something that just really stood out Gentry, just, you know, with, with talking to, you know, Mike Frabel the last couple of days, defensive coordinator, Shane Bowen, like, you know, they're really, they're really digging him, you know, just in terms of, you know, kind of the comments saying how he loves football and, and, you know, he, he wasn't there for, for the voluntary stuff. Um, dur- during OTAs, like the, the Titans have really just had three days with him um, these past three days at, at minicamp and just all indications, you know, so far have been that he's kind of been acclimating well, you know, he had a really good first practice, two really impressive, you know, pass breakups and in, in sevens. And, you know, he's another guy who's going to kind of need to be a veteran presence, you know, for a secondary that's going to be completely different. It's going to be really on him and, and Kevin Byer to sort of lead that group. And so just based on, on the comments you heard from Vrabel and Bowen, you, you have to be encouraged. I mean, you know, to a certain extent, you know, Vrabel and, and Bowen kind of have to say those things because it kind of raised red flags. If you know, you're, 
uh, the big corner you you acquired in in free agency wasn't kind of acclimating well. Um, you know, after the guys you let go, then that would kind of be a concern. But just from my eyes, right, um, just what he was doing at practice and communicating with guys and whatnot, I think um, if, if you're a Titans guy, I mean, you have to kind of be encouraged with what you saw out of him. Yeah, to, to, to me, as bad as they were defensively last year and as much as they struggled, especially in the secondary, the fact that they completely overhauled that group is probably not a bad thing when it comes to attitude, confidence, uh, you know, what you're not bringing last year's struggles with you as you go into the offseason. I think seeing, seeing Jackrabbit out there was kind of like, like that. It, 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 that's what stood out to me. Uh, you know, everybody talked about a guy who, who enjoys football. He's having fun out there. He, he he's the kind of guy other, other that his teammates are going to respond to in a positive way because of, of the enthusiasm he shows. And, and I think that's a sign of a secondary that's turned the page from last season. And I think it helps when you bring in a, a new guy, especially an experienced corner, like, like, like Jenkins, who uh, has seen teams win. Uh, you know, has been on some successful defenses. He understands what it takes to win in the league and he's able to, to bring that to some others in the group, not to say Malcolm Butler couldn't have done that because he could have. Yeah. The, the Titans were in a situation with Butler where they had to, to make a move. Dory Jackson also, I mean, you see how this has played out cap wise adding Julio Jones, but even before that, I felt like they needed to make that kind of move as a result of doing that. Janoris Jenkins was the victim of that same kind of thing with the saints. He was a cap casualty on their team. You you've seen, each of them end up in new places pro- at, at deals that are a little more uh, tolerable for the team. So, yeah, as you said, Titans better hope Janoris Jenkins is is capable of being a number one corner because they're going to need him to be. The, the thing that stood out to me, didn't see Caleb Farley out there, didn't see Christian Fulton out there. And those are two guys that they are going to have no choice but to rely on. And we've talked a lot about Caleb Farley with the back. And, you know, you didn't expect he'd be participating yet, but when you get to August you're you're going to want to see that start seeing this guy out there because they're going to need him. Yeah, what 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 kind of transpires in training camp is going to be very telling of what what the Titans are are going to have to work with. Um you know, obviously I I had spoke I, I spoke with a orthopedic surgeon um you know of of kind of few weeks back just about Caleb's uh you know, health prognosis and he kind of said, you know, potentially um, just with what Farley is dealing, like Farley in particular, what he's dealing with, you know, with his back, um, you know, he may not be able to practice until September. So, you know, if, if you're in a situation in August where, you know, you still don't kind of have Farley out there, um, we, we don't really know what Christian Fulton's situation is. But um, if you really only have Janoris Jenkins, I mean, who else is on the depth chart? You have guys like, you know, Breon Borders, who had to step up last year, you know, free agent Greg Maven. So, you know, I, I don't know, maybe maybe if, if you get to that point in training camp where you still don't have some of your kind of what, what you hope for, are, you know, kind of your young cornerstones, you know, they may have to, you know, there, there's a lot made of kind of the, the need, you know, to potentially add a tight end. But if you get that late into the summer and you have guys who aren't able to hit the field, you may have to look at, uh, you know, J-Rob maybe adding a veteran corner. Um, so, it's yeah, it's, it's going to be a, you know, kind of interesting a, a situation to monitor. That's that's for sure. And I think the move with, with Julio showed this is a team that that is going for it this year, which is it's, it, it was encouraging for me to see that because I'm not sure we had to this point. But if that's the case, 
man, they're going to have to shore up that defense. They, they, they cannot start doing what ha- having what happened last year continue to happen again. Struggling on third down, um, you know, I think obviously they addressed the pass rush with with Bud Dupree, but but Ben he wasn't out there either. Yeah, uh, he's still recovering from from an ACL. So I, I think that you know, obviously a lot of a lot of questions still on the defensive side of the ball. Although Danico Autry looked pretty good out there in a mandatory mini camp. That's a nice addition. I've thought that all along. He did. And uh, just to your point about Dupree, I mean, I think the whole story with with this Titans team, I think is just, there are so many ifs, right? Like, you know, you you look at the defense and yes, they, they address the kind of the needs personnel wise, but it's like, okay, when is Farley going to play? You know, when is Dupree, you know, when, when exactly is Dupree going to be back out there? And when he gets back out there, what, what is he going to look like? Because he's going to have a new team, new scheme, you know, all that, the, the Julio thing. I mean, Julio looked great, you know, this off season, just uh, the, the, the mandatory camp and, and that, that only that, that one OTA he, he participated in, but, you know, there's obviously kind of risk that comes with, you know, taking on a, you know, older um, receiver and, you know, you know, what exactly is this offense going to look like? Will Todd Downing be able to, you know, step in, you know, for without Arthur Smith there? I I just think kind of the, the story of this Titans team, as we kind of look toward training camp, you know, when a lot of these things are going to start to come together a bit more is just how many ifs there are. Like, <laughs> you know, a lo- you, this is definitely a win now type of team, as you kind of alluded to, but their ability to go as far as they want to is kind of dependent on the correct roll of the dice, so to speak, with so many guys, um, whether it be, you know, injuries um, or just from a coordinator standpoint. Yeah. And you bring bring up that uh, to me, the biggest questions on the team beyond some of what we've already discussed are going to be the coordinator moves. And, And I think so much has been made of, Shane Bowen on defense because that was you know an area they struggled in last year. I think it's going to be even more important to see what Todd Downing does offensively, especially now. That guy, he's been dealt an awfully good hand, Ben. He uh, better than most embarrassment of riches, but yeah. better better than most first year coordinators could reasonably expect, especially coming into a unit that was like second best in the league last year. You know, I I, I think you know he he it was a gamble, and I thought that all along given how much he struggled in his first year as a coordinator with the Oakland Raiders, but that was a completely different situation in a completely different team. And, uh, you know, look, we'll have more time to, to kind of get, get into to what that's going to mean. What, what else, what else stood out before we get to, uh, to Joel here? Yeah. But before we get to uh, Joel, um, you know, I just kind of wanted to, you know, address the, the tight end, um, you know, situation, you know, I thought Anthony Ferkser, you know, definitely, you know, what was had his moments out there, um, looked good. Um, Jeff Swaim, you know, as well. Um, but, I, but I just kind of get back to, I can't get over, you know, that the Titans needing, you know, one more guy in that room. Uh, you know, we, we had just, we just spoke to, you know, Mike Vrabel and, and he kind of spoke about how the, the real assessment of the tight ends is going to come in training camp when, when they have pads on and, and when they'll see, you know, how those guys in that room do um, in the run game, you know, because you can't really get a good look at that without pads. But um, but just from a personnel, you know, standpoint, I, I just feel like there's still that big hole there. That's the one spot on the roster that they didn't really address. 
this offseason. And then you 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 hear the way uh, Luke Steckel, um, the the tight ends coach, talks about um, how just just lavishing praise on Jonu Smith and how big of a challenge this is going to be for the guys that are returning um, and how guys are going to be needing to do a lot more than they've been asked to in the past. Just hearing that kind of thing, it doesn't like if you're, a, you know, at least from an observer standpoint, I don't think that the dialogue has been, you know, all that encouraging, you know, from, from, from the tight end standpoint. And, and this has been a point that's been brought up a lot too, just like when you when it comes to the season and you're in those like one tight end sets or whatever, and you have one of Ferks or or Swaim, you know, out there, how are you not telegraphing what you're doing? Because, you know, Ferks is a pass catcher, you know, he, blocking just isn't his, his forte at this point. And then Swaim, you know, he, he's not really much of a pass catcher. So I still think that's going to be a spot that needs to be addressed. There's obviously the cap concern with that. You know, you, you have just taken on Julio's contract and all the ramifications that come with that. But it's hard for me to believe that J-Rob is not going to do something um, at that spot, maybe for a cheap veteran option. You know, Monty Rice could prove me wrong. He could. But I could see as the year goes on, the Titans sure could have used a draft pick at tight end. Somebody new to add to that group who gives you something that maybe some of the returning guys don't and because now you're you're finding yourself in a situation where here's the decision do we go get julio jones or do we address a couple other needs most notably tight end well they went and got julio jones i don't disagree with that i think that was a huge step for that offense but they're gonna miss john new smith and i think everybody knows it and you know anthony ferkser has has been a valuable contributor in the passing game he's been very good on third down he he will take on more targets and and probably be more productive than a lot of people think he's going to be. He's going to be the kind of guy that in week five, you're going to see on all these columns as being a fantasy football sleeper that nobody saw coming because he's going to get more targets than people would have ever thought he would with AJ Brown and Julio out there. But <laughs> they're, they've asked so much of that, that group. And what made John unique was he, he had, a lot of skill as a receiver, but he was also uh, had a lot of size. He was a really strong guy. He looked like a pro wrestler, to be honest. He was one of the most impressive guys on the team, physique-wise. And this is clearly a physical offense that wants to do that. And it's been asked a lot of the of the the coaches so far this offseason, Ben, that how do you put the right tight end on the field and not become predictable? Exactly. Because these guys tend to have – they're specialists. They're not complete tight ends. This team needs a complete tight end. It is, it is a, it is a, um, if I'm sitting here saying what's the biggest need on the team, that might be it. We'll see how the kickers do. But uh, for, for now, that, that's another that, that's, thing. <laughs> it looks like Tucker McCann, right? There's going to be, uh, nobody's mentioning Goskowski anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, that's, you know, as kind of Mike Rabel said, I mean, that's, what they got at, at competition, they have McCann and, and um, I don't even know how to pronounce the, the undrafted rookies name properly. Oh, oh boy. Uh, I'm not even going to try Blake. Uh, he, he went to Ohio state, their, their kicker. It's going to be between him and uh, Tucker McCann. And, you know, um, so, so we'll see. Yeah. The, the special special team, when, when it comes to training camp, we'll, we'll get a better look at just 
what exactly the, the Titans have in, in, in the kicking game and, and see if that may be a spot they have to address too. This, um, this other kicker, really, by the way, this other kicker from Ohio State, 6'4", 233. Yeah, and the and the fact yeah. and, the, and the fact he went to Ohio State. Well, this this is a kid after Mike Vrabel's heart. I can go ahead and tell you right, but but they did like Tucker McCann a lot last year, and I I, I believe it is probably going to be his job to lose. And you know, Ben, you weren't being new to the team this year. You don't like the last couple of years. The kicker, the kicking unit has been an adventure for the Titans. It really has. And early last season was was insane because Goskowski struggled, and yet he kept making game winning kicks. He would be really unreliable until it was the game was on the line. Then he'd make it. So it became really hard for them to make a move because well, he won the game, but it, but he did struggle. And if you look at the numbers, they had a real problem. And then Ryan Suckup was hurt the year before; they couldn't replace him. They they tried about four guys in, into that and kept rolling through kickers there. So so. Really, for the last couple of years of Mike Vrabel's tenure, they have not answered this question. And, and you know, as the season gets closer, we're not going to, you know, we're not hearing much about the kickers right now. But you let it go week one and they go one for four on field goals again, you're going to hear plenty about them. All right. Well, that's um, let, let's let's move on and uh, talk to Joel here about some some salary cap stuff. And then we'll uh, we'll exit the podcast on that. Great. So, Joel Corey, thanks so much for uh, joining me today on the Talking Titans podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's kind of get into, um, you know, the kind of the, the financials of this um, big, you know, Julio Jones trade that the Titans made, you know, last weekend. Um, you know, the, the Titans have, you know, obviously restructured uh, Ryan Tannehill's contract that was seen as, um, you know, probably the most logical way that they could, uh, you know, make uh, the, the deal work or at least the most simple way. Um, so, you know, basically the, the, the Titans have created what about, you know, 18, just over 18 million um, in, in cap space by, you know, restructuring uh, Tannehill's deal. And then, you know, also by adding, you know, those two voidable um, years to the end, um, you know, of the, the contract he signed uh, last March Joel, the question I had for you is like for, for a layman, you know, for someone who, who, who really, you know, doesn't really understand um, how exactly, you know, the, the Titans are able to do this, how um, kind of the restructure works and how the whole void, the, the voidable year um, thing works. How, how would you kind of explain what the Titans have done um, in this situation with Ryan Tannehill's contract? Well, it's what I call salary cap gymnastics, and you've had to see it happen more this year than in any other year, because for the first time, the salary cap went down. It was 198.2 million in 2020. It's now 182.5 million, thanks to the coronavirus pandemic and, and declining revenues. So that's made teams have to be more creative. Some teams previous to this year, like the Saints, had been adding voidable dummy years to contracts when they do simple contract restructures. But you've seen a ton of teams who've never done it before end up doing it this year. So first to acquire Julio, they needed $15.3 million of cap space because you needed enough cap space to take on his base salary. Mm -hmm. So the Titans had about $4.3 million of cap space 
beforehand. So that wasn't going to work. Tannehill, most logical choice because he had a $24.5 million base salary. They've cleared $18.4 million of cap space. What you do by adding the two avoidable dummy years is you now get to prorate over five years as opposed to just the three years he had left on his contract. And since you can prorate over five years, you pick up more cap space. So in turn, what's going to happen is his cap numbers for 22, 23, 24, and 25 go up by 4.6 million. Tanio had a $34 million cap number for 2022. It's now 38.6. In 2023, it was 32. It's now 36.6. And he has the $4.6 million of signing bonus proration counting in 2024 and 2025. Those aren't real years. Those years are going to automatically void at some point before the beginning of the 2024 league year. So unless Tanny Hill does a new contract and, or turns those voiding dummy years into real years in 2024, the Titans are going to have a $9.2 million cap charge because of those two years, but they've gotten to create more cap space now than if they just um, did the restructure and took it over their three real years, three real years of his contract, which runs through 2023. And now Joel, I mean, this is not, you know, super specific to the Tannehill situation, but I've always kind of been intrigued by, you know, the, the whole voidable years concept. Like why is that possible for NFL teams who want to kind of get creative um, and, you know, obviously, you know, and, and trying to fit guys under the cap, like, you know, how did that whole avoidable year system, you know, come about it and what are really maybe the, the pitfalls, um, you know, for, for a team doing that? Well, it's a legal loophole under the CBA and salary cap rules where you can cheat the cap. So I think the real genesis came from the old rookie system Uh, prior to 2011 CBA when you had the rookie wage scale put into place. The way rookie deals work, you had an aggregate pool number where you had to fit all your guys in. It wasn't each specific slot had a number, at least known to the agents. And it was a zero sum game. Whoever could get the most got the most and whoever went last potentially could be left holding the bag. So in order to fit all the draft picks in fairly, um, teams started using the signing option bonus concept or sticking voidable years to do extra proration with the first round pick. So that's where it, that's really the genesis of it. And then you've seen teams adopted into veteran deals like the saints have been a huge proponent of it. And the biggest pitfall is that when you have a situation where the cap drops this year, the cap goes up marginally like it did in 2012 and 13, then this whole kicking the can down the road thing uh, becomes problematic. I remember the um, Raiders used the whole voiding dummy years concept to get out of what's called salary cap jail or hell with Richard Seymour's contract. And after restructuring his contract for two years, adding voiding, voiding dummy years, when he retired, they had a $13.714 million cap charge uh, that year. So that's the big problem. The, yeah. you, you could have a huge cap charge. The Saints are having that problem with Drew Brees because they have to take a $22.65 million cap pit. Um, it's going to be taken over two years, um, $11.15 million this year and $11.5 million next year for him retiring because they've been putting voiding dummy years into his contract since his 2016 extension. 
And now with with kind of, you know, kicking the the can, you know, down the road, I mean, that's, you know, what what the Titans have essentially done, right? I mean, you you restructure his deal um, and and you're you're adding, you know, his cap hit, you know, for 2022-2023, you know, be, becomes larger and, you know, I, I kind of have the numbers in front of me and, and you kind of mentioned it earlier as well. So, his his 2022 cap hit is now, you know, 38.6 million, which is you know, 18.5% of projected to be around 18.5% of the cap. And then the 36.6 million cap hit for um, 2023, which is going to be, you know, above like 16% of the cap, you know, with what the Titans have done to, to make this Julio Jones trade, you know, thing work, what does that mean? You know, just from, from a team building, you know, perspective after this season, right. When you have to account, for Tannehill's, you know, larger contract down the road, his larger cap hit down the road. And then, you know, with, with the Titan situation, they have a lot of, you know, guys who are actually going to be, be free agents after the, the 2022 season. So just, I guess, kind of generally, Joel, you know, when, when you kind of kick the can down the road like this, restructure, you know, quarterback money, you know, and to get an even larger cap hit, you know, for, for the upcoming season or the upcoming two for the two next upcoming seasons, what are what what are teams having like the Titans going to have to deal with now that they've you know done this just to get Julio on the books? Well, the good thing about Julio's contract is that it was insanely front loaded. The three year extension he signed um, with the Falcons in 2019 mm-hmm. that I haven't seen a deal that front loaded in quite some time. That the Titans are taking on. million for three years. Um, And in the last two years, his salary is 11.513 million each year. So if Julio was still performing at a high level, that's very affordable. I have a feeling if Julio Jones hasn't really dropped off, he's going to be asking for more money, (laughs) but that, but we'll get to, yeah, we'll get to that. If, and when that happens, Um, you're going to have to make choices um, in terms of who you can sign and who you don't sign. And we've seen the Titans make those choices over the past couple of years where they decided we didn't pick up Jack Conklin's fifth year option. He goes into free agency. We let him go. Um, They didn't pick up Corey Davis's fifth year option. And it would have been more than what Julio's salary is this year. It would have been 15.68 million. I think Julio's an upgrade. They let him go. Uh, They let John Smith walk in free agency because they weren't going to pay him top tight end money. So you're going to have to make choices as well. But I look at it this way, that by getting Julio Jones, you're seeing the signal we're in win now mode and we've got a three-year window because coincidentally, Julio's contract expires at the end of the 2023 season. Tannehill's contract expires at the end of the 2023 season. And Derrick Henry's contract expires at the end of the 2023 season. And I would bet against Derrick Henry getting another lucrative contract after 2023 given the running back position has a shorter shelf life than every other position. And he's been a high volume, heavy usage guy the past two years. And those guys tend to have diminishing returns quicker than anybody else at at the running back position. Now, you know, with kind of the, the Titans situation, like for, for 2021 specifically, you know, obviously as, as you kind of mentioned, you know, this is very much a win now type of team. But, you know, that there are, you know, some, you know, kind of roster concerns that kind of remain like just ahead of this 2021 season, um, like tight end is still kind of been a position talked about because, you know, as you mentioned, John U. Smith left, you know, some people have kind of wanted, you know, potentially 
to, you know, bring in kind of a, a veteran tight end. Um, you know, you, you have Julio, but you still kind of have this need at tight end. So the, the, that thought of bringing in kind of a veteran, um, you know, another veteran t- uh, tight end has kind of been been thrown out there. You know, with the Titans cap situation for 2021, is that something um, they can uh, afford? Like, I, I'm not sure what what the particulars of like how much, you know, a team needs to like for, for practice squad and they still have two rook two third round rookies that they haven't signed yet. Um, I know that the third round is the, the, the round where, you know, there's usually some wiggle room in terms of negotiation, but I guess just Joel, what I'm asking you is like, if the Titans still wanted to get another guy or two, um, you know, after, you know, doing this Julio thing, could they still kind of make this work or would it just come from the cutting guys? It would be a little bit tough in the long run just because after the trade, there's $8.25 million of cap space, essentially, a little more than that. But you have to keep in mind that in the offseason, only the top 51 uh, cap numbers count. Come September 9th, the thir- when the regular season opens that Thursday night, midnight Thursday, everything counts. All 53 men, everyone on the practice squad, people on reserve list. And depending upon the team and how many players there are on reserve list, that can be anywhere from a three to $5 million shift where you lose that type of money. So that's really an illusion that there's 8.25 million. Now, if you're talking about going out and getting a tight end, the, to me, the one guy you would want to get and he'd have to take a pay cut in a trade would be Zach Ertz because he's kind of in the Julio boat that he had an injury plague year is rehabbing ankle surgery but prior to this season, when you talked about tight ends, there were three which stuck out above everybody else, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and Zach Ertz. But that would be tough given the cap situation because he's scheduled to make $8.5 million this year. And it would either require Philadelphia eating salary on the way out the door, converting signing bonus based out on a signing bonus in a trade or Ertz in Latin's last year of his contract um, taking a significant pay cut. And I don't really see either of those things happening. Um, what's should happen is given you've got two guys who should be considered number one receivers on the outside, the middle should be wide open for Anthony Fersker. So you, yeah. you're probably, he's probably serviceable enough, for him to get for you to get by where you don't need a true dominant force in tight end because John Smith wasn't really utilized that much. If you look at him statistically, statistically it doesn't match up to his salary, but he's getting paid for what he's expected to do in new England, not for what he did in Tennessee. So you're probably going to be fine. Some people may have thought, well, Julio Jones is great, but he can't cover anybody or he can't rush the passer. So, some people may have thought if we're going to go out and trade for a Pro Bowl caliber player, let's sniff around New England where John Robinson used to work before he became the GM and try to pry away Stefan Gilmore instead. But I think uh, this is a pick your poison offense, as Julio said, because how, how's this going to work now that if you stack the box as much as you've had in the past, those two guys should feast on the outside. Who gets the number one corner, Julio or A.J. Brown? Yeah. Julio Price hasn't seen a second corner or much single coverage since early in his career when he's playing opposite Roddy White. So 
the defense may still have some question marks because Caleb Farley has durability concerns. We'll see how much Janoris Jenkins has left in the tank. But Dupree coming in to be the pass rusher that Javion Clowney and Vic Beasley weren't is coming off of a torn ACL. So there may be some shootouts. But this offense should be explosive because I expect Julio Jones has some gas left in the tank. And now, you know, just from what you've seen, you know, with just with with contending teams looking to take that next step, you know, for the coming season to get in Super Bowl contention and making an aggressive move um, similar to what, you know, the, the Titans have essentially done this offseason and, you know, just kind of capped with this Julio Jones trade. Um, like just from like a cap standpoint, though, is this even for like a win now team? It, it, do you think like this was um, kind of kind of like a smart move? Um, and, and and I, you know, it, it's like his like you mentioned, his, his contract was, you know, very much front loaded. And I, I believe after this coming season, it's just two two million guarantee that's left on, on the deal. Um, but but just based on what you've seen from teams in win now mode, uh, making aggressive moves in the offseason for a Super Bowl, you know, push for the coming season. Is this does this kind of compare, you know, with those and just in terms of being kind of maybe a smart financial move? I think it's a smart fan financial move from the standpoint that a player of Julio's caliber with the contract he signed, there should be more money left in it. So he's really getting for 2022 and 23, the money left. You're right. There's only 2 million guaranteed next year. Then the no more guarantees that that's really high end number two money, but the Titans had to get somebody to come in to be another threat in the passing game because you couldn't go with just A.J. Brown and Fersker because when you lose Corey Davis and John U. Smith, there's a gaping hole there. So I don't think you could have done any better than getting Julio Jones. And I'm a little perplexed by some of the commentary. This like he's he, saying one, he's injury prone. I'm like, well, if you look at what he did prior to 2020, he missed four games in six years. That's not someone who has durability concerns or is injury prone. He had a hamstring problem that he admitted that he played, tried to play through as opposed to sitting out and letting it heal. That being said, he still averaged 85.7 receiving yards per game, which was seventh in the NFL. And if you look at where he was when every team had played eight games, He was averaging 97.3 receiving yards a game. Only two guys were better through eight games. That was Devontae Adams and DK Metcalf. I know he's 32, but this guy doesn't seem to be having hitting the wall or anything like that. He's not going to get the targets he got in Atlanta where some years he was being targeted 200 times. The the way this offense works, the targets are going to drop significantly. But I still think it was a great move for the Titans. Plus, I think the Titans need to be slightly more geared toward the passing game for one reason. Derrick Henry had 378 carries last year. That's an insane workload. And you're going to have an extra game this year, a 17th regular season game. He's not going to be able to sustain that type of workload and be very productive 
over the long haul that historically that just doesn't happen. Maybe he's the exception to the rule, but we've historically, if you get to 200, 2000 yards in a season, nobody has ever rushed for 1500 yards the next season. That's never happened among the 2000 yard backs. There's an extra game. So maybe Henry gets there, but you really need to lighten his workload a little bit, given the extra game. And he's led the league in carries the past two years. So getting Julio on the other side, who I who should be an upgrade over Corey Davis to pair with AJ Brown, then maybe you you're still going to be very run oriented, but maybe not quite as dependent on Derrick Henry. So if teams try to stack the box, they'll pay a penalty for it with those two guys on the outside. Now. That's pretty much it from me, Joel, in terms of cap specific questions. I think you've kind of done a good job of laying out, um, you know, what exactly the, the Titans are getting um, and, and whatnot. What, would there be anything else you'd want to add that you kind of think I missed in terms of the financials of, of what the Titans have done, um, you know, to make this work? Um, anything along those lines? No, Titanio is a logical guy. Now, the interesting thing is going to be that after the 2021 season, A.J. Brown's eligible for a contract extension. Um, he'll right. be, after he played three years as a rookie, uh, then you're eligible for a contract extension. And as a second-round pick, he'll be going into his contract year. So Julio, if he plays well, he's going to want more money. A.J. Brown would be a necessity because he would be in a contract year. So you want to take care of him just because he's a young ascending player. What I see happening is that A.J. Brown's going to be looking at one particular guy and what he could potentially get as a benchmark. His former Ole Miss teammate, D.K. Metcalf, who I expect at a minimum, is going to get what Tyler Lockett got in Seattle because Lockett just signed a new extension in early April, averaging $17.3 million per year. I don't think you get DK Metcalf or anything less than that. You probably have to go to the $20 million per year range or much or more. So A.J. Brown is probably going to be comparing himself to his former college teammate, and the Titans are going to have to pay a pretty penny to re-sign A.J. Brown, and then if Julio is Julio of the past Man, and not an old of, Julio, yeah. that can be a headache right there. That's exactly why they are in win-now mode now, right? You, you have you have A.J. on his rookie contract still, um, you know, entering year three, um, you, you know, and, you know, Julio's contract is as is right now. You've made it work with Tannehill. It's definitely – you know, win now situation and, and kind of deal with everything that may come later. Um, but Joel Corey, uh, thanks so much for, for joining me on the Titans po- talking Titans podcast. I've really appreciated it. Sure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Talking Titans hosts each Thursday at Tennessean.com. You can also subscribe to Talking Titans for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. Talking Titans is a production of the Tennessean.